The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that's constructed entirely for entrepreneurs and small businesses. You know, people in small business and people that are starting businesses, they're the ones that are going to change this country's direction and this country's economic fortunes. They're the ones that are going to put people to work, going to kickstart this economic recovery. And they're the ones that are going to build the high-paying, high-skilled jobs that we need in this century. You know, the time for propping up all the old industries is over. We're in a totally new era, and this program is to help you address the issues that you'll face. It's our intention here to give you advice and so that you'll avoid making all the mistakes that people like me, <laughs> who went before you, have already made. Some of them, several times. However, we've had some successes as well. So that's the most important thing, the ability to keep on trying. Now, there's nothing more rewarding or invigorating than becoming an entrepreneur. You know you get to control your own destiny. You've got the flexibility of changing things immediately if you don't think they're right. And you can always create better solutions. So it's a, it's a phenomenal way to live your life. You always look back with pride in what you've done. In these tough times when the economy is pretty sluggish and the fragmented media landscape makes reaching your target market so much more difficult and more expensive, an employee's tenure and their loyalty is shrinking rapidly. More and more boardrooms are now facing how the issues of how do we provide great customer service and transform the attitudes of our employees? Companies are at last realising that enthusiastic employers, employees are more motivated, they're more productive, and they remain with, a, with the company a hell of a lot longer. They also provide valuable word-of-mouth endorsement for the company, and in the end, they benefit shareholders. So it's a win-win-win. A side benefit of enthusiastic employees is that they're not constantly after a raise and they won't jump ship for a few dollars more an hour. So how do you make your employees more enthusiastic and fulfilled? Firstly, you need to get their immediate superiors to critique their work and liaise with them. 
This empowers the staff to enable change. It empowers them to make suggestions and take ownership of their role. You know, if, if they're getting judged by some HR person that's remote, then no one's empowered and nothing happens. Nobody's motivated and the staff feel removed. Secondly, you can gauge a, an employee's level of enthusiasm for the job by just asking a couple of simple questions like, would you recommend to your friends that they come and work here? Or a second question is, how enthusiastic are you about recommending our products to your family or friends? If you get a negative to either of those, then you're in trouble. You've got a lot of work to do. The third step to develop enthusiastic employees is to get a steady stream of feedback from customers and then share it directly with your employees. When employees hear the feedback direct from customers, then the effect is much more dramatic than if they hear it secondhand off you and they think you're just trying to G them up. So happy, enthusiastic employees, they stay longer, they work harder, they're more creative and they go the extra mile. They also attract more good employees. And all this is great for the company. It's great for the customers. It's great for the shareholders. Listening closely to employees can bring unexpected benefits. You know, a lot of us know about Stu Leonard's, the famous supermarket chain that's headquartered in Connecticut. You know, they, Stu made a habit of selecting random shoppers and buy them a coffee in exchange for a chat. And one morning, Stu met up with a pensioner who told him that, senior citizen, who told him that she loved the store but wished that their fish was fresher. Now, Leonard's bought in the fish fresh every single day, but they cut it up and they put it in styrofoam containers for convenience. But the lady said that in the containers, it didn't look as fresh. So Stu took this on board and decided to try out putting half the fish in the styrofoam containers and the other half just lay it out on beds of ice. Well, guess what? The fish on the beds of ice sold through the roof and the total fish sales at Leonard's doubled. Why did this happen? Because Stu listened to a little old lady who was totally wrong. But in business, perception is reality. And I love stories about entrepreneurs. You know, I've got I've got a real entrepreneur bent. And uh, I love stories about entrepreneurs, particularly about young ones. How about Fraser Doherty in the UK, who at the age of 14 began making jam with his grandmother's recipe? He called his, this traditional jam Super Jam <laughs> and began making it in his mother's kitchen. He began selling to his friends and neighbours, and then all of a sudden he was accepted into 184 Waitrose stores in the UK. He had a thriving business at just 15 years old, making jam. Now, this proves that you don't have to be a Jobs, a Gates or a Zuckerberg to be a successful entrepreneur. You just have to find a niche. You've got to believe in it and don't be afraid to go for it. Catherine and David Cook began my yearbook when Catherine was 15. 
Obviously, my yearbook was a social networking site for teenagers. In just one year after it's launched, it became the third most popular social networking site in the US. My yearbook has over 33 million users and has expanded to games, live chat, photos, video sharing, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Again, remarkable success achieved by a 15-year-old entrepreneur. And the last teenage story for today, at the age of 17, Chris Phillips created a website called Dot5 Hosting. He became one of the richest teens in the UK, and by the age of 19, his income was well over a million dollars a year. Wow. So there's examples of a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old who became multimillionaires through simple ideas, great execution, and a passionate entrepreneurial spirit. So if you want to complain that the world's never given you a break, that you didn't get an education for, because your parents couldn't afford it, you grew up in a depression, or any other lame excuse, I'm the wrong bloke to talk about it. The world is full of great stories of kids at school and college dropouts who build great businesses because of their ideas and hard work. Nothing to do with education or opportunity. It's about having the balls to have a go. It's also about being persistent. I spoke to a guy the other day who'd begun 10 startups. Nine of them failed. But he kept going, kept trying, and really went through some anguish. But on the 10th, he hit pay dirt, and he's now well on his way. You've got to have persistence. Never give up. The key to being a good entrepreneur is being creative. You need to seek out opportunities and use your imagination and believe that absolutely nothing is impossible. I'll always remember the story in the midst of the mad cow disease outbreak. The fam, the farmer who sold his um, cows for banner advertising. He generated revenue at a time of crisis. <laughs> and the advertisers benefited because of the massive amount of media exposure he got for his cows with signs written all over them. And the sponsors were delighted because they got this massive media all over the world. Now, the reason that most people don't succeed is simply because they don't try. If you don't try, you can't fail. This is just simply a lack of guts. Now, some of the mistakes that the gutless make are, firstly... They try to put their feet in both camps. They try to do a real job while they play with the entrepreneurial side. But if you don't give the entrepreneurial side 150% focus and commitment, it'll probably fail. Secondly, they become technicians in their business instead of hiring work out because they don't want to overextend themselves. You know, if you don't take a risk, you'll never succeed. You must focus on your business, not in your business. In the time you tried to do something that an expert could have done much faster and much more efficiently, you lost valuable development or sales time. The third mistake is not going in balls and all and taking that huge risk. 
you must also be prepared to adapt and modify. I've seen people doing the same thing year in, year out, believing they're going to get a different result. It ain't going to happen. Let's face it, not everything works. And wishing that it did doesn't make it so. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, it takes guts because no guts, no glory. Success usually comes to those where it's an all or nothing proposition. You've got to believe in yourself. I thought today I might mention a couple of great apps I read about on the plane when I was off to Denver to give a speech the other day. The first app is called Scavenger, S-C-V-N-G-R, which is a game that leads people on scavenger hunts by sending text messages to their phone. These texts direct the players to participating bricks and mortar businesses, and for every clue found there, they get points. When they earn enough points, the players get discounts on merchandising at a store of their choosing. The creator of Scavenger, a dropout from Princeton. The value of the company, $100 million. The second app that caught my eye was HealthTap, who tapped into the fact that many doctors want esteem more than they want money. Users post health questions that real-life doctors respond to. The doctors aren't paid for their expertise. Instead, they get points and win prizes. Now, the genius of this site is that doctors post their answers for everyone to see, including their peers. Add in the game layers and the inherent drive to compete, and the result is over 10,000 participating doctors in one year. Now, I hope you go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my June newsletter, which is out now. Don't forget to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at the Bob Pritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook or Google+. Just contact me in any way that you fancy, but don't ignore me. And if you want to book me for a presentation for your business conference, drop me an email. I guarantee that I will really fire up your team and get great results. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'll be back in a moment with my first guest. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the show that's dedicated to helping business become more successful in this highly competitive, depressed market environment. This is the segment where we talk to people whose goal is to help companies achieve this success and do very well at it. My guest today is Alan Fine. He's written a great book, which is a New York Times bestseller and was judged the best leadership book of the year. That's quite an achievement. The book is called You Already Know How to Be Great, a simple way to remove interference and unlock your greatest potential. Alan began his career as a tennis coach, working with up-and-coming tennis professionals, where he realised that the biggest performance challenge wasn't that people didn't know what to do, but rather they didn't do what they know. These days, Alan provides leadership, management and frontline employee training programs, executive coaching services, team performance workshops and reinforcement services to a number of Fortune 500 clients. Now, tens of thousands of people use Alan's GROW model, which is considered to be the gold standard approach by corporate leaders worldwide. Now, I can attest to how busy Alan is. I've been trying to organise this interview for about two months Blimey, I thought I was busy, but we finally did it. Alan, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks for inviting me to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, Alan, you say that we already know how to be great, but doesn't that depend on the individual? Aren't some people have far greater potential to be great than other people? I guess that depends on how you define great. If, If we said... You already know how to be greater. Maybe that would do it. Okay. Um, I would not say that everybody uh, is going to be a Wimbledon champion, let's put it like that, has the potential to do that. I would say everybody has the potential to play much better tennis. Right. Everybody has the potential to make much better speeches. Okay. Now, you notice that particularly in sports, particularly with one Australian that I can think of, um, but I'm sure it's the same in business, that when the pressure's really on, some people just fall apart. Now, why is that? Is that just nerves or is it something else? Well, when you say just nerves, I mean, I think it is nerves. I mean, it's often called performance anxiety. Hmm. And for, for the majority of people, what that looks like is there's a physiological response. So they get tense, they hold their breath, their pulse rate goes up, they get massive amounts of adrenaline going. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, uh, an emotional and a an, uh, thought trigger to all of that happening, which is usually fear of some kind. The, the term I like, the generic term I like to use for it is interference. Right. And they get, a, they get a conversation going in, the, on, in their mind uh, about, and it will contain words like, you should do it correctly, you shouldn't do it like this, uh, the, everybody's watching you, don't screw this up. And that kind of internal dialogue goes on in us whether we're making a speech, whether we're trying to have you know, what's often called a crucial conversation, or whether we're hitting a golf ball. Mm. It, it's the same phenomena. And to the degree that 
you can reduce the amount of that goes on, that's where you can tap into people's greatness. Because what you say, what you're describing is they do it great in practice, but under pressure they don't do the kind of things that they already know how to do. Yeah. It's, it's not an issue of knowledge, it's an issue of can they implement that knowledge. I know, I know people that, um, I know a guy that's got this incredible IQ and almost a photographic memory and he went on one of those quiz shows on television and couldn't answer anything. He just could not yeah. find the answer despite the fact that he knew it really well. Yeah. It just didn't happen. So when you well, say... It, you, yep, sorry. It, if you ask, when I ask people some really simple questions like... Um, how many of you know of one thing that if you did more of or less of at work, you'd be more effective? Everybody puts their hand up. Mm -hmm. So you've got to ask the question, well, you know, if you already know that, why don't you do it? Exactly. Yeah. If you ask parents, um, how many of you said yes to your kids when they nag you, you know, let's say for a sugary treat, mm -hmm. knowing that in an hour you'll regret it because... You're going to have to peel them off their brother or sister because they're on that sugar high. <laughs> yeah. They all they they all nod their head. You ask you ask golfers. Here's a crazy one. You ask golfers, um, how much of the game is mental and how much is physical or technical, mm. and they always tell you it's like eighty or ninety percent mental. Yeah. And then when you ask them, well, how much of your time do you spend practicing that mental side, and they'll tell you zero unless yeah. they're professionals, and then they'll tell you about two percent. Yeah, that's right. Can it, so the issue is not do they know what to do. The issue is do they do what they know. Can you get people to action? So when you say performance breakthrough, what do you mean by that exactly? Oh, just um, a consistent increase in performance. I know break, people often think of breakthrough as some kind of massive change, but I think uh, especially at the higher levels, performance breakthroughs can be quite subtle. You know, the, the things yeah. that we do differently can be quite subtle the effect of it can be quite dramatic yeah i, I was i was just going through my head um michael phelps uh, eighth gold medal at the last olympic games um the difference in time between first and last was less than i think half a second and uh so that person who's on the blocks who knows how to get that perfect start who just yeah. doesn't quite hit it comes last where a small yeah. increase in performance would have made him first yes yeah well you you look at the professional golf world and there's plenty of players working as hard as tiger woods sure you know what makes tiger woods that much more consistent and it's some it's i think it's some real subtle differences mm. so is it is it a temperament thing and can you teach temperament uh, I think you can, I think there's some hardwiring in us, um, a part of which is temperament. And then I think what you can teach and train is how to manage it more effectively for results. Right. Okay. So I think some people are more prone to performance anxiety than others, but all of us can move the dial on how we deal with it. Now, if we already know how to be great, what is it that stops us? I mean, what? It's, it's that phenomena um, I mentioned um, that I call interference. I mean, I think to me that's a, um, 
it's a bit of an all-encompassing word. There's two types of interference. There's external interference, which is most where most people get caught up. So they look in business, they look at how hard the markets are, they look at the complexities of their organization, there's too much to do, there's new technologies, there's not enough time, there's all these things coming at them. And there's a tendency to say, well, I, I'm not performing as I could because of all these external things. Now, I would argue that those are the things that actually, that's the nature of the game. That's like saying, I can't play good golf because the wind blows and the bunkers are too big. <laughs> <laughs> so what what stops us, what shuts down our performance is the internal interference. It's our reaction to those things. So if we become um, if we become full of self doubt, if we if our energy goes, if we uh, feel powerless, those are all internal things that will stop us from taking action, stop us from seeing clearly what to do next and taking action on what to do next. So it's about so, building confidence? Uh, I think confidence, well, to me, there's three things. Right. Um, if, not, if knowledge isn't the issue in performance, it will tend to fall into one of three things. Well, and this is going to be a little bit simplistic, but that's why we, we use models is to simplify sure. things. Sure, absolutely. Um, it'll fall into what I call faith, fire, or focus. And I'm not talking religious faith here. I'm talking yeah, about belief in ourselves. If we're leaders, belief in our people or leaders or coaches. Yep. So what we believe uh, has a massive effect on performance. Our energy level, our willingness to go the extra mile, our passion and commitment, which is fire, has a huge effect. And then most of all, what we focus on, what we pay attention to, will affect our performance. So if knowledge, if knowledge isn't the issue, if people are armed with the knowledge and they're not performing, almost always it will be something to do with one or more of those three things. Okay. I can, I, can, I can accept that. That makes sense. So you've been helping tens of thousands of people improve performance for a very long time. Is there one performance breakthrough that's been especially inspirational to you? Um, there's a number actually. Um, so I'll, I'll give you. Can I give you two? Sure. One, one, one's gone on for uh, 25 years actually, because there was a when in my early days of doing this kind of work, I started working with a young amateur golfer back in Wales, right? Uh, who was had been told that he was technically so bad he shouldn't turn professional. <laughs> And his nickname, get this, his nickname was Divot. That's what the team, this guy was on the Welsh amateur team, and his nickname was Divot. And he's a, he was an undertaker and in his day job, right? It's actually, you know what he did? The only job he'd held was for about two months, and it was delivering what we call leaflets through door, oh, okay. doors. Right. And um, so nobody really believed in him. And when we started, we just, and this is not what I expected to happen. We just did one, took one step at a time. And this goes back to that incremental breakthrough. Yep. So 25 years later, this guy has been in the top 40 of the world money list. He's won three times. He's been in the top 10 in Europe, I think, 30-something times. Finished in the top 10, 30-something times. Played on the Ryder Cup, um, beat Phil Mickelson in 2002, um, and, and his, his name's Philip Price. Right. And you know, so he's had this 25-year career that 
nobody thought he could do. And it's been an inspiration to me, I mean, to see his roots. You know, his father was a miner who was invalided and died early. Um, what this guy's achieved is amazing. And then, the, I don't know, it, it's, it's kind of like in a different vein altogether. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to a hospital group. And um, as we went through the material, at one of the breaks, a lady came to me and talked about... Um, how excited she was to go and use this with her um, daughter who was in a special school. Uh, mm -hmm. She was in her early 20s in a special school because of intellectual challenges. Sure. And she said, for the first time, I can see how I can change the interaction with her and help her become more self-sufficient. And I just, it kind of blew me away. That's fantastic. They're great stories. I appreciate you being with me today. Alan, I know that you are so busy, and I'm sure that the businesses and the, and the managers that are out there listening to this program got a lot out of it, because I think I need some of this, because sometimes when I go out to speak, I get so nervous. You know, I forget, I forget what my name is. I'm all right 10 seconds <laughs> later, but, you know, that first few seconds is yeah. harrowing. There's something unnatural about walking out in front of 10,000 people. So yes. if, if you haven't already reached out to Alan, you can learn more about the program and correct me if I'm wrong with this, but it's www.insideoutdev, D-E-V, short for development, dot com. Is that correct, Alan? That's correct, yes. So it's www.insideoutdev.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. You know, most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in average, ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes these few people really interesting, unusual and great? This is the segment where we try to find out. So in keeping with our policy of getting extraordinary guests, today we have another unusual story. My guest today in this segment is Jay Rankin, the author of Under the Neon Sky, a Las Vegas doorman story. Firstly, I just love the name of the book. Under the Neon Sky, I think is fantastic, and the cover, I think, is unbelievable. It tells a story just on its own. If, if I spotted it in a bookstore, I would pick it up just simply because of the cover. So let me tell you a few things about Jay. He has a master's degree in psychology. He worked in the locked units of psychiatric hospitals for four years. He worked as a probation officer at detention camps. He became a property developer and then produced and also reported on Las Vegas Business Week, which was a local weekly television show on ABC Las Vegas. Now, that's a pretty good story just up to that point. However... Then his life got really interesting. He got a job at the MGM Grand Hotel for nine years. And on that amazing experience, he authored Under the Neon Sky. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me. I think that's the best intro I've ever had. (laughs) Oh, great. Good. Now, I love Vegas and I don't gamble at all, but I go there whenever I can. Are you a gambler? Not really a gambler. I, I, there was probably a time in my life when I first moved to the city. You know, I'd get in bed at 11 o'clock at night, and the city was just waking up, and things were were going crazy. And I thought, my God, what am I doing in bed? I, I, I'm in the center of the world of entertainment. And yeah. and for a while, you know, I, I, I played, I tried this, I tried that, but it, it really wasn't in my nature because I was living there, and I, and I knew my instincts told me. That um, if you're going to live in this town, uh, you got to be careful not to fall through the cracks. Yeah, and I think you know you realize that they don't build multi-billion-dollar casinos because people win. Exactly. <laughs> and after exactly. after you write the book, they still let you into the MGM Grand. You know, I haven't tried yet. I hope so. <laughs> There's a couple of them that aren't talking to me anymore. But but um, no, you know it it. I, I think what I did in my story was tell what it was like on the other side of the fence. Sure, it, sure. it wasn't a a gambling story or celebrity story or, or anything like that. It was it was more about what it was like as an employee yeah. working on uh, a major hotel on the Strip. With a, with a master's in psychology, what led you to become a doorman in Vegas? I mean, what did the job entail? Well, it's kind of like your intro. It it, it was just. Uh, I turned right instead of left. Um, I, I had had a couple contacts living and working in Las Vegas, and 
one of those contacts uh, said to me, he said, you know, Jay, uh, you ought to try this. There's a new hotel that they're building, and doormen make more money in tips than management. And um, you certainly know a few people. Wanted, why don't you give it a shot? So I did. And uh, lo and behold, out of 1,700 applications, they only needed nine guys, but I happened to be one of them. <laughs> Coming back to that money thing for a minute, I read somewhere once that the doorman at the um, um, plaza in New York declared an income of like $1.2 or something. Um, so do doormen make that good money? Well, they do or they did. I'm not sure how they do today because of the recession. You know, recession yeah. doesn't it, – it, it affects everything. But, but certainly I, I would imagine that doormen – can make very good money. 1.2 million, I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, but but we did do very very well. It it was really a matter of uh, the culture. I think in New York City, there's a set of cultures, sure. and in, sure. in San Francisco, another, and in Las Vegas, certainly, it's more of a soliciting type of a culture. Yeah. Uh, that's there. Yeah. I, and bet you, I bet you've seen we some amazing. into the market. Yeah. I bet you've seen some amazing things. Can you tell us about a few of them? Well, first of all, in Las Vegas, the money flows like a river. It, it, it's really a remarkable place where people don't behave anywhere in their lives like they do in Las Vegas. Um, if they're paying a lot at the gas pump or they go to the market, uh, and the bill is high, they might say something. They might say something about their electric bill. But in Las Vegas, there's something that seems to happen uh, when people's feet touch that Vegas soil where suddenly, and I'm not sure what it is, whether it's the endorphins in the brain that say, <laughs> let's just forget about our life, let's go crazy, let's, let's do it all, let's behave in a way that we'll never behave again in our lives. And cash just seems like it doesn't mean anything in Las Vegas. So yeah. that being said, I've certainly seen a lot of people hurt themselves. Yeah. I, I've seen people um, go to the ATM machines, which are placed strategically throughout casinos. Everywhere. I've seen, <laughs> yes, but, you know, the key to all of that is the vulnerability. Uh, Las Vegas knows what it's doing uh, in, in terms of business. Absolutely. They target and they lay things out. They know about human nature. Yep. Uh, they, they know about how long somebody can last on a slot machine or a crap table. And the, and the ATMs are very close by. And on top of that, the key is that a lot of people don't, don't take care of themselves. So they become thin. They become, uh, there's a thin veil. Uh, of of intelligence that begins to <laughs> to develop because they're not sleeping, they're not eating, they're yeah. drinking a lot of alcohol, yeah. and of course the place itself is full of electricity, so you're already pretty fried. <laughs> and then add gambling to that, and and I've seen a lot of people hurt themselves. I've seen a lot of relationships get damaged, and uh, you know it can be risky. Yeah. What's the hardest part of the job? That's a great question. For myself, on the other side of the fence, going through the training of a hotel that says 
this is what we want. And by that I mean we don't really want our guests to leave. We want them to stay here. We want them to feel like everything they need is here. That being said, you need to treat these people but with kindness and respect. Well, that's a lot easier said than done because a lot of the people that we did deal with were intoxicated, sure. no sleep, lost yeah. a lot of money. They may have shown up Friday night looking terrific, clean, hair slicked back. Uh, but when they left, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how many times I noticed that the hair looked uh, and the clothes, everything was the same. They never showered. Yeah, the and then, and that look in their eyes, you know, they were angry. There was a lot of self-loathing, and they took it out on us. And we had to be kind and be nice. And <laughs> Bloody hard them. to get a tip out of them. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was part of the job, Bob. Yeah, it really sure. was. It, it was all about customer service, and yep. you know a lot about that. Yep. It, it was a lot about just swallowing it and being nice. And even um, if they flicked their cigarettes at us, you know, you smile. we had to say, thank you for coming and hope to see you again soon. Yeah. Um, Vegas is an extraordinary place. 800,000 people a week go to Vegas. Um, I go as often as possible. I love the place and I don't gamble at all, but I, I just love it. Um, what are a few of the marketing strategies that um, Las Vegas uses to, to suck in 800,000 people a week? Well, that's a huge question, but then again, you, you're talking about the business side. Yeah. So you're really talking about targets. If you just step back and look at the town, you'll see circus, circus properties, and those are targeted and catered to families. Yes, there are convention facilities that are such big money makers that in the old days there was only one convention facility near the Las Vegas Hilton. Now all the hotels have their own convention buildings. Yeah, and they're great. And they are. They're terrific. And, and they, they, there's, there's no money that they hold back in building these things. They want to meet everybody's need. Yeah, they are wonderful so facilities. I give a lot of speeches in Vegas, and uh, the facilities are phenomenal. Yeah. And on top of that, you look at the Palm, and you look at the Hard Rock, and you look at Planet Hollywood. These are all targeted for younger people. Sure. You look at the Wynn. You look at the uh, um, Bellagio. These are targeted Venetian, you know, for more upscale. Yep. Um, so, so there's a lot of targeting. There's a lot of cultures that they go after. They do a lot of marketing in Canada, a lot of marketing in Europe. Um, certainly the world is getting much smaller. You've now got gambling in a lot of other places in the world. So Vegas is trying to reinvent itself all the time. But it does stuff like that. You know, it really, uh, advertises a, as a place of, uh, you can live a, a secret life. Nobody will ever know. And a lot of girls. You walk. Well, the hookers, the sex, you know, that's always been a, a huge lure. But on there again, on a business level, uh, it's important. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for the people that live there, vice might control it because prostitution's illegal in Las Vegas. Mm. But it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Sure. And, and it's a very big gray area because it's such a lure. It's such a moneymaker. 
And they have a lot of shows, you know, for men and women. And some of the other techniques that they use are what they call secondary marketing. That if a big player comes in with his family, um, the goal of the hotel is for that player to sit at a table and play for as many hours as possible. And in the meantime, they will take his family personally mm. shopping. They'll take him to play tennis. They'll take him to a movie. Yeah. They'll take great care of his wife or his kids. And uh, just so he sits there at the Baccarat table and plays. So who, who's better at customer service, Wall Street or the mob? <laughs> <laughs> great question. Well, I think both. Uh, you know, it, it's a close one. Wall Street certainly is, is a bottom line corporate type of way of running a business. Uh, you've got shareholders. You report to your shareholders. It, the gambling is, it was no longer the bottom line. Um, it had to do with um, leasing space for stores, sure. uh, certainly the shows, souvenirs, food, uh, ticket sales, um, just everything that they could think of to generate money, including rooms. Well, yeah, now, if you go back to the mob days, they gave rooms away. They gave food away. They gave you souvenirs. Um, I had a good friend in, in Atlantic City, and when he showed up, um, and those were the mob days. Mm. They were waiting in the lobby for him with a dozen roses for his wife. Yeah. And th they had his initials on bathrobes in his room. He smoked cigarettes. They had a carton of his cigarettes. On the matches were his initials. What they wanted to do was basically make him feel like they were waiting for him. Yeah. So, this was his home. And they were to cater to him with his every whim, every need. And that was Mob. They knew his name. They knew his wife's first name. Yeah. Um, they, they comped him everything. They begged him to take whatever he wanted. Uh, if he liked a, a particular 1965 French white wine, uh, they'd get him a case of it. So why do people give up their money so easily? You know, the only thing I can think of is endorphins. Yeah. And an endorphin is the, the very powerful chemical in the sure. brain that reacts when you do anything that feels good. I don't care if it's food, sex, um, your hobby. Whatever feels good to you, you're feeling that way because of endorphins. Now, getting into things like Las Vegas, and this is where people get into trouble, an endorphin creates a pathway in the brain. And once that pathway is there, it doesn't go away. So people always want to go back because they, for whatever reason, some it's gambling, you know, some it's golf. But whatever the reason is, um, this is where people go. And I think that the endorphins are so strong that there's something about spending a lot of money where they just don't care. Yeah. They just want to have this feeling that they're special, that they're respected, that they're important. And Vegas is one of those few places that will definitely treat you like a king no matter where you go in that town. Jay? I have to cut you off. It was great to speak with you. You've had a fantastic oh, life. Pleasure. I love it. 
Now, if you'd like to find out more about Jay and his book, Under the Neon Sky, go to his website, which is www.jjaylasvegas.com. That's www.jlasvegas.com. And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles, where the weather has been absolutely magnificent. Um, First of all, I'd like to mention to you a couple of things that could be of real benefit to you if you're an entrepreneur or in a management role in any sort of business. Firstly, you should listen to a new show called Business Rockstars, which is currently on KFWB News Talk 980 in Los Angeles every Monday to Friday from 2 to 4. Ken, a good friend of mine, Ken Rutkowski, uh, has sensational guests and the show is full of valuable information for anybody in business. So make sure you tune in to Ken, but, you know, continue to listen to us, of course, every Tuesday evening. The next thing I want to mention is that if you like watching powerful business speakers, on Thursday at 8 a.m. East Coast Australian time, which is 3 p.m. Wednesday here in Los Angeles, Ovation Speakers Bureau is having a fantastic showcase in which you can watch it online at www.ovations.com. So do yourself a favour and just have a look. It is a phenomenal lineup of speakers. Now, my first email today is um, from Simon Warren of Toronto in Canada, and he writes, Dear Bob, thanks for a great show. I always enjoy the interviews, and I found last week's interview about crowdfunding extremely interesting. Can you recommend anyone that I should speak to about it? But my question actually concerns how to effectively allocate my time. I'm always extremely busy and therefore always, there always seems to be a lot more work to do than there is time to do it. Simon, let's take crowdfunding first. We're all pinning high hopes on crowdfunding, giving entrepreneurs the boost that they need to really kickstart this economy. One guy that I would recommend is Todd Whipple of Startup Addict. He's extremely helpful. 
and I'd recommend him highly. On the subject of being effective and efficient, something I learned a long time ago is at the end of each day, make a list of all the things you've done that day that actually made you a profit. Get all your staff to do it as well. It's amazing how hard we all work during the day and then and not have a minute to spare, yet do nothing in a 10-hour day that actually makes us money. You know, it's when you make your list and, and look at just exactly what makes you money, you'd be surprised that most days you won't have done anything that makes money, which is ridiculous. When I give presentations, I ask people to list the things they did the previous week that actually generated profits for the company. The overwhelming majority cannot stand up and name one single thing. Now, you've got to admit, that's pretty pathetic. So if you're in that situation, you're obviously doing things that are not important to the future of the business. We need to concentrate on doing those things that will make us money. We also need to reduce the amount of time that we spend on things such as meetings. A meeting will always stretch out to fit the time allocated. And so try and halve the usual allocated time. You should always prioritise a to-do list every first thing in the morning and be sure to write next to each of those things on the to-do list what you're aiming to achieve and how this will be of benefit to the company. Simon, essentially, it is about getting your priorities right and maximising your use of time. Simon, thanks for your email. We will send you out a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my new book and is available at all major bookstores and at Amazon. Last week, I ran out of time before I could properly answer an email from Alison Barber from Wisconsin. And she wanted to know what are the major reasons that most small businesses fail? Alison, you really need to know at least three things in order to run a successful small business. The first of these is finance, then marketing, then the product. Now, most people in small business know only one of these things well. Occasionally, they might know two, but seldom do they know all three. And in my view, this is one of the major reasons for the high failure rate of small business. Too many small businesses that I see do not have a strong foundation. They have a lack of strategy and they lack the discipline that is necessary to be successful. They usually have poor systems or no systems at all. Now, this combination is a recipe for disaster. In too many cases, great effort goes into the marketing to drive traffic. But when the client goes online or goes into the retail store, these businesses lack the capacity to deliver a wow shopping experience. And today, with the competition the way it is, you have to get a wow experience to get the great word of mouth, which is critical to the success of any business. In today's market, where communication is so fragmented, And if you do it properly, it's also expensive. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Show is here to help small businesses like yours to succeed. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, 
and send your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I look forward to being with you again at the same time next week. We have a couple of fantastic guests next week. I'm really excited about it. So until next time, have a fantastic and successful week. And let's all go out there and kick some butt. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.